If you have your Bible this morning, you can begin opening it up. We are headed to the book of Acts one last time. To the very end of the book, you can flip all the way to the end and Acts chapter 28, and we will attempt to cover the entire chapter here as we finish out this series that has taken us most of this last year in a series that I have entitled for us, The Power to Change the World. We see the hurts, we see the struggles, we see the brokenness, we see the sin. There is only one, says Scripture, who can change, who can save the world. We've seen through our study that the book of Acts highlights God's power, that it is not our power or our ability to do anything, but it is the Lord's power, and it is God's power that did miracles throughout the book of Acts, that moved hard hearts to believe and to trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It is the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead and many others and who spiritually raises people to life every day. And it is that same power of God that has been poured out by His Holy Spirit today into the lives of believers, you and I in this room, ordinary believers that have been called by God to live out the good news of the gospel, to be witnesses for His kingdom, for Jesus Christ the Savior of the world. You remember at the very beginning of our book, we we identified Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 is really the verse that Luke, the author of Acts, uses to explain to us what he and what the Lord wants to teach us from this book. So let's go back to the very beginning for just a moment. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 tells us this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Last Sunday, we saw God's faithfulness in a particularly unique way, this shipwreck, this stormy seas and shipwreck that Paul and so many others find themselves in, but God was and is faithful, and now Paul is in his final elements of his traveling to Rome, where he will ultimately finish his journey of faith here on earth. Uh, Acts 28 is going to show us really three different geographic scenes that are going to teach us three different things. So we're going to begin where they've just washed ashore on the tiny island of Malta, and then we'll see Paul continue to travel up the Italian peninsula and eventually, finally, third, make it into the city of Rome where he will be under house arrest for several years, but still evangelizing, still living out the gospel. And these three scenes are going to give us really three different fruits of the Spirit or three different godly characteristics that we too can live out as we show and we speak the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So let me begin begin by praying one more time and asking God's guidance and blessing over His Word before we jump into the Scripture here this morning. Heavenly Father, once again, we come before You. We are grateful for the good news contained in Your Word. We submit ourselves to You and to Your Word. We thank You that it is inerrant and infallible Lord, that is inspired by your Holy Spirit, and we desire to live what it says. Father, we recognize that we cannot do it on your own. It is only by your grace and your mercy, and we ask for more of it poured out on us today. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin here in chapter 28. I want to read to us verses 1 through 10 to see our first characteristic or fruit this morning. The Bible says this, After we were brought safely through, that is, through the shipwreck, through the storm, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, 
a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Three things that we are going to see this morning, three ways that we continue in the gospel witness of Acts. The first is this, God empowers ordinary believers to show extraordinary compassion in their gospel witness. God empowers ordinary believers to show extraordinary compassion in their gospel witness. Notice that throughout this passage, as through the book of Acts, it is always God's power that does each of the miracles that we see. And we see several here taking place yet again at the end of Acts on this tiny island of Malta. It was God's power as well that saved Paul and the other men on board that ship that for 14 days was under such stormy conditions that they could see neither sun nor stars for those 14 days. We remember from the last chapter that 276 out of 276 men on board that ship were saved by God's promises and by His power, and they actually wash up this little area that they are at. Today is known as St. Paul's Bay. And now, Paul, having finished a great day of ministry, is headed off to the local Texas Roadhouse, followed by a wonderful evening of watching Netflix and hanging out at the Hilton. No. You can imagine, if you're in his shoes, that having followed this arduous journey, 14 days on the ship, getting to the shipwreck, getting everybody there, preaching and teaching and encouraging all those around you, that you just want a break. Can I get the rest of the afternoon off? It's Sunday afternoon. This is supposed to be my rest time. And yet Paul does not do that. He finds ways to practically show compassion. Sometimes compassion is just being willing to go the extra mile and stick with it, stick with difficult people or difficult circumstances and walk with them through it. You notice that it seems like an odd detail to include, but we're told that Paul immediately having survived, gotten onto shore, he's gathering sticks to build a fire. It's a compassionate thing to do. He is meeting an immediate physical felt need for the other men who have washed ashore. They're cold, they're hungry. He builds a fire for them. And yet in that moment, we don't know exactly why, but we're told that this viper, this snake, jumps out and bites him and locks down on his hand. I'm not a snake guy. I don't know about any of you. Not a fan of the snakes. The only good snake is a dead snake. In my mind, if you love snakes, you have pets at home, I apologize, please don't leave the church. But you can imagine what this was like for Paul. Uh, The locals see this take place, right? And they process it this way. They go, well, he's just come through this shipwreck and now he's been bitten by a snake. Certainly he's going to die. So he must be a terrible person. 
he must have done something awful. They accuse him or think of him as a murderer. And so here now, cosmic justice has finally caught up to this guy, Paul. What you should see here, this is how the unbelieving world then and now tends to process right and wrong. This is how we tend to process morality. Do bad stuff, and and you get punished by some sort of unpersonal, unforeseen, cosmic power. Or conversely, we very much think this way, do good stuff, be a good person, and you'll be okay. You'll be rewarded. Life will go well. Uh, And whatever your particular version of heaven is, you'll probably experience it one day, we think. This is the way of false religion. This is the way, this is the thinking of karma. This is the thinking behind uh, living by chance. This is the way of moral relativism. This is the way of secular humanism. They have no category yet. And I would suggest to you that many in our own world today have no category yet for a personal creator God who shows perfect justice every day and shows perfect mercy every day. They certainly have no category for a man like Paul, who himself, like you and I, is an ordinary believer, a sinner saved by grace. And Paul is going to show them that reality. He's not a god, as they will think later. He's also not a murderer, although Paul does have that in his past. Paul writes this in 1 Timothy 1.15, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the worst. What a great picture of the gospel there, the, the reality of humility, that the gospel is not just for you over there, but the gospel is for me. Jesus came to save the world. I want you to know about it. It's not that you're worse than me. I promise you, whatever you think you've done, I've probably done something worse. Paul shows incredible compassion, I would say, by not getting defensive when they accuse him or think of him as a murderer, but also not taking advantage of the situation, making himself to be some sort of a celebrity when they think that he is a god. And then another miracle takes place. God, not Paul, but God heals Publius's father through prayers and through the laying on of Paul's hands. And then the rest of the island hears about it, and Paul continues to be used by God in a compassionate way to heal all those who were sick who came forward asking to be healed. And it is, once again, a miraculous healing that's taking place. This is both word and deed ministry, though, that's taking place. You notice there's four things that Paul does. He visits, he prays, he physically lays his hands on them, and he, by God's power, heals them. Uh, You and I do not have to do miracles in order to follow in Christ's footsteps, or even hear Paul's footsteps, of compassion. Entering into, visiting people in their grief, in their suffering, making eye contact, investing in them. Uh, Despite what many have said even this week, praying for someone is not a throwaway activity. It is not a powerless or a meaningless thing. It is the most powerful thing that we can do is to call on the God who saves and ask for him to step into someone's life. Uh, Not only that, but he he lays hands. He, He physically connects with them. You know the power of of giving someone a hug, entering into their space, connecting with them, demonstrating that you care for them. And we may not have the miraculous power of healing, but there are always a multitude of ways that we can not just say the reality of the gospel, but that we can live it out. And that we can bring healing or bring restoration in people's lives as they suffer through the inevitable difficulties that this life includes. 
Uh, Look at the story of Jesus and the widow of Nain in Luke chapter 7. Just a couple verses here that highlight the way that Jesus does this. Takes God's power and turns it into compassion. Uh, Verse 12, Luke chapter 7, verse 12, as he, that is Jesus, drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. I can't do miracles like that, but you and I, we too can set aside our busyness. Jesus was on his way somewhere else. We can set aside our calendar, our agenda, our busyness, and and make eye contact and connect with people who are struggling and show compassion to those who are right in front of us. We can dignify those around us by honoring them with our words, honoring them with our touch, meeting the needs of those who are in need. And no, we cannot raise the dead to life, but we can introduce them to Jesus, the Son of God, who raises people spiritually to life every single day. Word and deed, compassion, showing people Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Number two, God empowers. Again, this is all about God's power poured into us. God empowers ordinary believers to show extraordinary endurance. Endurance in their gospel witness. This is the second scene now as Paul is traveling the rest of the way up the Italian peninsula toward the city of Rome. It says this in verses 11 through 16. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. I'm not an Italian. I married an Italian. I'm sure I butchered that word. I apologize in advance. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Paul here in this little snapshot of a moment, and his entire adult life as a believer has showed incredible endurance for the mission of the gospel. As you recall, we said last week, he has now completed three full missionary journeys. In a sense, this trip to Rome is his fourth and final missionary journey that have spanned 11 years on the road telling people about Jesus. He most recently has endured three farce trials in which he is completely and utterly falsely accused, Most recently, a shipwreck, not his only shipwreck, on his way to Rome. We know he's been arrested many times, beaten many times. One time he was actually stoned and left for dead and yet survived by God's grace. And he refused to stop telling people about the good news of Jesus because he wants to see, like us, the whole world know salvation and hope in Jesus. 
We can assume that most likely Paul walked this final leg of the journey as he did for most of his trip. So he's walked now 140 miles from what is modern-day Naples to the city of Rome. 43 miles from Rome, Christians greet him at the Forum of Apius. 33 miles from Rome at a place called Three Taverns, more Christians, brothers and sisters in the Lord, greet him. What this means and should step out to us is that the Apostle Paul, who is on this mission for God, was also, this same mission was being accomplished not just by an apostle, but by ordinary believers. Paul has spent years praying and desiring to go to Rome to bring the gospel there, and when he gets there, he finds out it's already there. There are already Christians, ordinary believers like you and I, who have shared their faith, who have traveled, who have gone on missions trips, and there are churches being established in and around the city of Rome. This is an encouragement for us moving forward. We do not have to have the human apostles in order for the church to continue. We have the Holy Spirit. And as it leads and guides His precious church, it will not fail. You notice, too, um, that it's, it's, again, not about Paul. It's about God's power, God's love on display. And so Paul is not angry that they sort of stole his thunder. He doesn't show up and go, come on, man, you guys are really messing with my celebrity status here. He thanked God, the Bible says, and took courage that other believers were joining him in the same battle of faith because his goal was to make Jesus' name known, not make Paul's name known. And in verse 14, it kind of feel the joy in verse 14 when it says, finally, after all these years, and so we came to Rome. He says we because Luke is accompanying Paul in this particular leg of his journey, and he is writing this, this triumphant joy that God has finally fulfilled his good and faithful promise to Paul. Acts 27, verse 24, we saw last week, Jesus promised Paul, you will stand before Caesar. God never fails. He never fails. And if God can never fail, then you and I in this life, we can endure whatever it is that you may be facing. It is highly likely that when this passage references Paul being uh, with a Roman guard, it is highly likely that they were chained together at the wrist and that 24-7, 365, he had a Roman soldier on his arm. And it doesn't change a thing. The book of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12 and 13, Paul writes, what has happened to me in Rome has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known among the whole imperial guard. 2 Timothy 2.9, Paul writes, I am in chains, but the word of God is not chained. In other words, I endure my chains because the gospel will always remain unchained, and I am willing to suffer so that others might know the good news of Jesus. Paul, while he is under house arrest, chained to another man in Rome for about two years, writes five more books of the New Testament. Philippians, Philemon, Ephesians, Colossians, and 2 Timothy are all written by Paul during this time. And again, referencing the book of Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes this, that members of Caesar's own household have become Christians. How would you characterize Caesar? Good guy? Bad guy? Loves Jesus? Hates Jesus? Nero is currently Caesar or is about to be Caesar. 
And it's saying that members of Caesar's own household have become Christians. Do not doubt that God can do anything that he promises. We can endure in the gospel knowing that God is faithful. The most unlikely of people are coming to saving faith in Jesus. Don't write anybody off. So how can we have this same endurance? Well, in the book of Hebrews, we have another powerful passage that sort of parallels this moment in Paul's life. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. How can we have the same endurance? Well, first of all, it says that the church must endure suffering for the gospel together. This great cloud of witnesses, we must do it together. No man is an island. We must draw together. It also clearly says that we've got to continue to make war against our own sin. It is very easy for us oftentimes to get super worked up about sin that is out there in the world, and there is sin out there in the world, but we sort of give ourselves a pass as to the sin that's in here. The Bible clearly says if you want to make war on sin, begin with what's going on in here. And finally, it says so clearly, look to Jesus in everything. He's the author of your faith. He saved you. You did not save yourself And he is the perfecter of your faith, meaning that Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, every single day is sanctifying all of those people who have been saved. He does, it's not a matter of getting your fire insurance and you walk along with the rest of your life. No, no, no. God is actively working in and through you every single day. Put it another way, the the grace that saves is also the grace that changes in your life every single day. Jesus empowers us to live extraordinary endurance for the gospel witness. Third and finally, God empowers ordinary believers to show extraordinary courage in their gospel witness. Extraordinary courage in their gospel witness. This is the longest uh, portion here of Acts 28, so hang on with me. I'm going to begin here in verse 17 and finish the end of the chapter and of the book, and notice what is said and what is not said here as we finish out this amazing story of the book of Acts. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, speaking of Paul. And when they had gathered, he said to them, "'Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans.' When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, these are not believers, these are Jews here living in and around Rome, And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. 
but we desire to hear from you what your views are for, with regard to this sect, the sect being Christianity, with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts has, this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there, again, Paul, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The end. God empowers courage in his people, not just in the Apostle Paul, but in you today. Acts 28, 15, we just read a minute ago, it said, Paul thanked God and took courage. Acts 23, 11, Jesus himself speaks to Paul and says, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Some of us are afraid to testify about Jesus in America because it's not popular, at least not at the moment to talk about Jesus, and we are crippled in fear. What will the people of America or Rome think of me if I talk publicly about Jesus? What is right is not always popular. What is popular is not always right. God gives us courage to share the gospel, even in a hard-hearted culture. Here, the hard-heartedness is among the Jews, not just living in Rome, but of the Jewish nation at large, And Paul, and I'm sure they loved it when he said this, quotes Isaiah and says that the Jews' hearts had grown dull. And the word dull here, this Greek word, is really a word that is saying fat, that their their hearts had become calloused and covered in fatty tissue. Now, for Jews who daily butchered their own meat, they would understand exactly what he is trying to say here, that the, the fatty tissue around the heart was constricting their hearts from doing what hearts were supposed to do. What is it in our nation, in our world right now, that, that can tend to constrict the hearts of people to hear the gospel and to respond in faith and belief? Or what is it in your heart this morning that, that keeps you from trusting Jesus in faith? Or maybe you'd say, I am a believer, but I, I, I am actively holding God at a distance. What is it that is constricting your heart this morning in the same way that maybe the Jews were doing these many years before? For the Jews then, their mistake, and I suspect for many of us now, their mistake was this, choosing self-righteousness 
over Christ's righteousness. They chose self-righteousness over Christ's righteousness, meaning in their heart of hearts, they believe this simple statement that I think the, the average American believes as well. I can save myself. I can do it myself. I don't need some, some God out there to come and, and do things for me. I am a pretty good person. I can handle things myself. And that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. They go on to reject fully the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, who declared himself truly to be the way, the truth, and the life. And as we see in the, in the few years that follow, the Jewish nation as a whole ultimately closes the book on rejecting Jesus. And if you go to Israel to this very day, you will see that that continues on, that they have rejected Jesus as Messiah. But the Bible says the Gentiles will listen. The Gentiles will believe. You and I stand here 2,000 years later as evidence of that reality. And it ends here by saying that, that Paul proclaimed with boldness and without hindrance. What would it be like for God's people worldwide to continue to share the good news with our words and with our deeds with boldness and without hindrance? Morning till evening, it says of Paul, testifying to the kingdom of God. See, you and I are the ongoing story of the book of Acts. Many have used the phrase, and rightly so, that we are Acts chapter 29, that the gospel did not end in that moment. Rather, it was just beginning, and we get to be a part of God's story, receiving God's power through the Holy Spirit and witnessing courageously that others might know salvation. Again, it wasn't just about Paul. It wasn't about the apostles. Paul, like you and I, was just a sinner saved by grace. And to, to emphasize that reality, you notice that Paul's death here is left in obscurity. Luke does not comment on, on the manner or the timing or what actually happened at the end of Paul's life. We do not know. Uh, there is much that, that history has recorded that we can speculate that may be true, but Luke here, the author under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, intentionally does not make it about Paul and Paul's death. Why? Because it's about another person's death, isn't it? It's about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came down and lived the perfect life and died on a cross. Not a death in obscurity, but a death that is declared in every church around the world every Sunday for the last 2,000 years. And not just a death, not just a memorial, and we remember who Jesus used to be and what a cool historical character and what great things he taught and how moral he was. No, no, no. A living Savior, one who conquered sin and Satan and death and rose again from the dead, who empowers believers this very day to continue sharing his good news around the world. Amen? We are a part of that story, and so take courage. If the gospel can transform the scuzzy perverse, disgusting, immoral city of Rome, then it can handle America as well. It can handle Europe. It can handle all six occupied continents. Because check this out, within a few years of the end of the book of Acts, the gospel had gone to the entire known world, and it has long since spread to the six occupied, what do you call those, not nations, the um, continents, thank you, the six continents of the world. God is good. God is multiplying his church, even though we live in a, in a crossroads, don't we? 
many in our city, many in our nation, many in our world have, have forgotten the good news of the gospel. They, they've twisted the good news of the gospel or just rejected it outright. But Jesus is still on his throne, and we continue to be a part of the ongoing great commission, his great commission, and the story here of Acts, because Jesus is the power to change the world. And we're going to be used by God to, to live out some of these same characteristics that through extraordinary compassion, extraordinary endurance, and extraordinary courage by God's power and by His grace, we can continue to share that same good news. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, I love this. Jesus says this, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. He has not returned yet, has he? So we're not done. So let's keep going, amen? Let's pray together.